Amen. Amen. If I turned you loose on a beach in August, let's say Galveston, and you went out at nine in the morning, and you stayed out there with no sunblock, no protection at all, and you came in at nine at night, would we be able to tell? Would you be able to tell? Here's the deal. That's something as simple as getting sunburned. But when you've been with the sun under sun, S-O-N, shine, that also shows. That also shows. Um, Let me ask you, if you've been with Jesus, will it show? Well, that was about five of you. Uh, If you know Jesus, can we tell? Something been happening in our country, something been happening in the church world that I keep my finger on the pulse of very, very closely because of what I do. And uh, there's something out there. There there is a disconnect between our profession and how we live. Now, I don't expect a lot of amens. I think I got two from somewhere over here just now. But the thing is, If you're saved, it'll show. We used to sing a song, if you're saved and you know it. You remember that? If you're saved and you know it, praise the Lord. You know, if you're saved and you know it, say amen. And then if you're saved and you know it, it'll show. So what I want to talk to you about today, I think I'm just going to kind of fix something. Um, I don't know, doctrinally, theologically, I want to clarify that if you're a believer, it's going to show in some key ways. So I'm speaking on how to know you've been genuinely saved. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir. I know most of you are saved, but some of you may not be. And so what we're going to undergo is kind of a spiritual physical. I know that sounds really exciting, but... We're going to read a verse out of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And I want to share with you the evidences of being saved, genuinely saved. So let's read what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This is out of the Living Bible. And he says, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you're not at all? That's not a Jeffism. Paul wrote that by the Spirit of God. He wrote it to the Corinthian church, which was a mess. They had gifts coming out the ears, but they were messed up in some things, and So Paul is is saying to them at the end of his second letter to them, he said, oh, by the way, now that I'm wrapping up two letters to you, let me encourage you to check up on yourself. Another version says, examine yourselves. Be sure you're really a Christian. Do you pass the test? Well, what test? That's what we're going to look at. So let's pray today. Father, we just thank you for your blessing today. We sense the Spirit of God heavy in this house right now. 
And I know, Lord, He's a searching spirit, a convicting spirit, a revealing and illuminating spirit. And I'm asking you, Lord, search our hearts, search my heart. And Lord, help us to be sure about the most important decision you'll ever make. And that is whether or not you've truly been saved. Pray with me, church. Would you say, Lord, today, search my heart. And I receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, it's going to be good. Now, I know you. You're you're probably thinking... um, Golly, did something happen in the church and he's thinking a bunch of us are lost? No. I, I read a lot about, like I said, what people are thinking. And, and I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people that are not members of this church. And, um, and I talk to them about the faith, talk to them about Christ. I witness uh, at various times throughout the week. And so I know what people are thinking. It's very curious to me to know what people are thinking, what they think about Christ what they think about Christianity, what they think about uh, their own life and their standing with God and uh, what Christianity really and truly is. But here's what has come to um, concern me where I would talk about something like this. Um, we have a situation in America today where it, 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 what it means to be a Christian has become very blurred. What it means to be a real Christian. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody's an American. Everybody loves mom. Everybody loves apple pie. Everybody's a Christian, right? But, but it, what it truly means to be a Christian or what a Christian actually looks like uh, become blurred. What, what, is it, what, is it, what does a real Christian look like, think like, behave like, walk like, talk like? What is the lifestyle of a genuine Christian, a real one, a real Christian. Um, and you know what? Unfortunately, this blurring starts at the top. Pastors. So I'm talking first about my field. And in a survey released in May of this year, the Cultural Research Center reported something. After surveying pastors across the nation, Only one in three possessed a biblical worldview. What does that mean? Everybody has a worldview. You've got one, I've got one, we've all got a worldview right now. You're listening to me through the lens of your worldview. Your worldview is how you see, the lens through which you see all of life. Human beings, God, heaven, hell, morality, sexuality, um, ethics, you name it, your, your, your worldview is how you interpret everything that comes your way. All right? And there's either a biblical worldview or a worldly worldview. And if you have a biblical worldview, let me tell you where you got it. You got it from this. You got it from your Bible. Broken record here, and I admit it. Every believer ought to be in the Bible every day. Because every time we open up this Bible, it's the Word of God. And here's what it does. It corrects your stinking thinking. Now, I got all kinds of stinking thinking that needs help, right? So when I open this up, 
Remember, Paul said in Romans 12, 1, don't be conformed to this world. Don't get a worldly worldview. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the way you think. Well, how do you think? Well, it depends on where you're getting your information from. If you're getting your information about life and living from the world, you've got a worldly worldview. You're going to see sexuality, morality, uh, all the hot-button issues of today, abortion, you name it. You're going to see it through the lens of a worldly worldview. But if you have a biblical worldview, then you're seeing the world through the lens of God's eyes. Because this is the Word of God. All right? So I open up this book, and I start reading like I did this morning. I read Ecclesiastes. I'm going through the Bible in a year. So I happen to be in Ecclesiastes today. And I read some things. I mean, I've read Ecclesiastes a hundred times. But there was a few things that just jumped out at me. I grabbed my pen. I underlined it, made some notes. And, and what did it do? The, 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 the Word of God gave me a sharper biblical worldview. So that when I look at people, look at you, I, I see you more and more through the lens of how God sees you, not the world paints you. I, I see people that are created by God, not the result of an evolutionary process that could care less. So, so all kinds of things. So here's the deal. Um, what has happened to Christians is we've gotten saved sometimes, but we haven't developed a biblical worldview or... We have been so infiltrated by the world's thinking, we don't understand what Christianity even is anymore. And so people assume they're saved when they're not. A lot of the time. I talk to people that are living lifestyles that don't evidence salvation at all. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Well then... You come out of the sun from all day long, it's going to show. If you have been saved, multiply that times a thousand, it's going to show. How will it show? Let me finish these stats with you. All right. So one third of church leadership, my field, talking to people, congregations every week, saw through a worldly lens. They didn't have a biblical worldview on morals, ethics, sin, hell, heaven, spiritual warfare, the one-wayness of Jesus, several things they got F's on because they didn't have a biblical worldview. Preachers. If there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. Of the 176 million Americans that claim to be Christians. Can you believe that? 176 claim, million claim to be Christians. Really? Where is it? That's 69% of the population. Only 6% of 69% of professing Christians had a biblical world view. On key questions like this, 72% believe that people are basically good. No, they're not. We've all sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. We're the enemies of God until we get saved. 66% said that having faith matters more than what faith you have. So what really matters is that you've got a faith. Doesn't matter which one, just that you've got a faith. That's not true. There's only one faith that will get you into heaven. 
There's only one faith that will get you in contact with Creator God. Jesus said, I'm the way, truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except by way of me. That's pretty clear. 64% said that all religious faiths are of equal value. That's not true. It's not true at all. Jesus is in his own stratosphere. There is no one even close to him. And again, he's the only way. You want to get to heaven? Call out on him. You want a brand new life that I'm going to talk about in a moment? Call on him. He's the only one. Everything else is a counterfeit fake. Designed to lure you into something that won't do the trick. 58% said that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they earn their way into heaven. That's not true. The Bible says your righteousness is to me as filthy rags. No, there's only one way to get right with God, and that is to borrow Jesus' righteousness. And that happens when you get saved. Then, I got a kick out of this, 57 believed in karma. 57% believed in karma. Karma is straight out of New Age Hinduism. But but Christians, oh yeah, I believe in karma. Well, I believe that you reap what you sow, but that ain't karma. That's different. But look at the infiltration of worldly thinking into the minds of Christians. So that brings me back to Paul's advice. Let's listen again. Check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending? Or do you just think you're a Christian when you're not? When you're not at all. Well, I'm in church. Well, I can go stand in a garage for a year and I won't become a car. (laughs) Just because you're in a church doesn't get you saved. Doesn't make you a Christian. No. I'm going to show you what it is. Now, the Bible clearly lays out several identifying evidences that a person is truly saved. How many of you want to know what that is? Now, some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh, I should have stayed home today. No, this is good stuff. And all of you watching from home, this is for you. God bless you. And radio, God bless you. Social media, God bless all of you. I want us to all be very clear. Because if we're not clear on this, we're missing the most important clarity you can ever have. Because there's nothing more important than knowing whether or not you've been saved. Nothing more important. So let me share a few evidences with you. The first one. A changed life. Everybody say a changed life. If you've been truly saved, I guarantee you, you've got a changed life. And if you're a professing Christian, but your life has never changed, you're probably not a Christian. You haven't been saved. You haven't been born again. I love you enough to tell you the truth. A changed life. Look what Paul wrote. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. Did you catch that? Look at that verse. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Amen. When you're a Christian, when you've been truly born again, when you have come to him, and that's what it means to be a Christian, it means to be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. 
He told Nicodemus at night. You, he, Nick at night is what I call it. Nick at night. Nick came to him at night and, and said, hey, we know that you're from God. You're doing all these things. And Jesus looked right at him and said, Nick, you must be born again. And, and Nick, a theologian, said, what are you talking about? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, you've got to be born of the Spirit and of water. You've got to be born twice. And it blew his mind. But we're talking about something that is supernatural. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're saved. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're hellbound. Born twice, you're heavenbound. You got to be born twice. Born twice. Everybody say born twice. Born again. Now, now, that, that is not to say that Christians are perfect. Anybody in here perfect? As soon as you raise your hand, you're not. Right? Because nobody in here is perfect. We all messed up. How many of you this week were thankful for the blood because you were able to say to Jesus, forgive me? Right? Because we all stumble in many different ways. So I'm not saying, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but what I am saying is this. You're not perfect, but you are distinctly changed if you've truly been saved. There's a recognizable difference. There is a before and there is an after. That not only can you see, but people around you can see. You're changed on the inside. Your speech, your morals, your character, your lifestyle are all immediately affected. Immediately your countenance has changed. I read this morning Ecclesiastes. It never jumped out at me before, but I saw this. He said, the righteous man's face shines. That means when you get right with God, it affects the way you look on the outside. Let me tell you something, ladies. You can get all the makeup in the world. It can't do for you what getting born again will do. Right? Because when we get right with the Lord, something happens to the way that we look. Our countenance, our eyes shine. There's a smile. There is, there is something that used to be there, a darkness that is gone now. Because you have come into contact with heaven via Jesus Christ. And it shows. Now you've got some sunshine. S-O-N. Shine. And it's affecting the way you look. Yeah. You're in the same body, but it's not the same you. Something has happened on the inside if you've truly been born again. See, I'm not talking about religion. Religion is you try to fix yourself from the outside in. Religion is ritual. Do this, do that. Go here, go there. Don't this, don't that. Jump through all these hoops. And then maybe God will love you and accept you. No. Christianity is done, done, done. We accept what Christ did for us. And as I'm about to show you, you are transformed within. Here's another version. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Old life, gone. New life, begun. And let me be real clear here, because a lot of people get this mixed up. Here's the deal. Being born again is not the same as bettering yourself. We live in a self-obsessed culture. Self-ease. Self-magazine, self-improvement, self-betterment, self-help, 
self this, self that. The message of Christianity is you can't help yourself get saved. You can't help yourself get right with God. But we get, we get self-help mixed up with becoming a Christian. And that's not what it is. It's not a self-help program, Christianity. The real Christian faith has nothing to do with self-help. It has to do with getting right with God. Getting redeemed. Getting filled with His Spirit. Getting a new nature. It has nothing to do with helping yourself. It's not rehabilitation. Christianity is not rehabilitation. Rehabilitation puts a new coat on a man. Salvation puts a new man in the coat. It's not turning over a new leaf. Oh, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's not a New Year's resolution. Okay, New Year's resolution. I'm going to break this bad habit this year. I'm going to quit eating so much, smoking, drinking, whatever. But, but Christianity is not kicking your latest bad habit. That's not what it is. No. True salvation is not a little side event that takes place in the shadows. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. It is something that happens that is supernatural. Things that are of the world suddenly lose their importance. Something radical happens on the inside of you. Jesus becomes the focus. Not just in church, but all the time. One definition of being truly saved is this. Being born again is a supernatural act of God where your soul, dead in trespasses and sins, becomes indwelt by the Holy Spirit after repenting and calling on Christ to forgive you. True salvation is an inside job. It is not working from the outside in to make yourself better. It is God changes you from the inside out. He comes into your life. He invades your life in a good way. He does something that nothing else could ever do. He changes your life. Totally. It's not the same you. My little mother, 98. She'll still look at me and go, I can't believe it. (laughs) It's really true. I was with her last Sunday. That's where I was. By the way, didn't Jonathan do a great job? Where'd he go? There he is. She's 98, no arthritis, no dementia, no cancer, no heart disease, nothing. 98. I said, Mother, when you go home to heaven, they need to study your body. But she says, Jeffrey, I still can't believe. She can call me Jeffrey. You can't. Jeffrey, I still can't believe the difference. I hear you on the radio and I just can't believe it's you. You know why? Because it's not the old me. It's not. Which brings me to the second thing. Second evidence. First is a changed life. Your life will be irretrievably, inescapably, irrefutably changed if you're saved. Second, changed affections and changed desires are a hallmark of truly being saved. Genuine salvation produces a whole new set of appetites and desires and affections. 
Things that you didn't used to desire at all suddenly crop up. I'll give you an example. A truly born-again person will show a genuine love and desire for Jesus Christ. Did you want Jesus when you were lost? No, you fled from Him. But when you're saved, you want Jesus. You want to know Him. You want to walk with Him. You want to talk with Him. You want to be close to Him. You want to please Him. You want to relate to Him. You want to grow to be like Him. Here's a mind-blowing verse. Look at this up here. A truly born-again person will have this happen. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Look what happened. This all happened on the inside of this person. Suddenly, somebody they've never seen. A person that lived 2,000 years ago. They walked the earth for 33 short years. Yet, how is it you love Him? You love Him, say amen. amen. How does that happen? Not, not only, hey, it's one thing to say, well, you know, I think I, I love somebody I've been corresponding with, you know, in another country or something, like pen pals. But we're talking about somebody that lived 2,000 years ago, who you've never seen, never touched, never been around, never heard personally in the flesh. And yet, he says, you love him. What happened there? Being truly saved changed your desires, affected your affections, touched you on the inside so that real Christians say, I'm slap happy in love with Jesus Christ. And look what he says. He says, He says, you don't see him now. You will one day, but you don't now. You believe in him. But still you're filled with inexpressible, unexplainable joy. What's that? It's an affection. So somebody truly saved is going to have a change in their affections. They care about what pleases him. What grieves him. What he wants for your life. You care about that if you've been truly saved. And like with anybody you truly love, you want to spend time with them. Come to know them better. Hear them. Worship them. Walk with them. He becomes the central figure of your life. Paul said, to me, living means having Christ. To die means I'd have more of him. (laughs) I love Paul. He was Jesus addicted. For the unsaved person, ladies and gentlemen, there's no such desire. It's not there. Jesus is just another inspirational historical figure right up there with Buddha and Muhammad and other religious leaders. And and he's not special at all, as in, I'm in love with him. That only happens to the truly saved. A true born-again Christian will experience a brand new desire for the things of God. The Word. The Spirit. Fellowship with other believers. His presence. I, I get a set of appetites and desires I never had before. Peter wrote this. Peter said, as newborn babes, he's talking about people freshly saved, as newborn babes, 
Desire the pure milk of the word. Now, see that word desire? It's translated from a Greek word that means this. To crave. To long for. To strain after. To hunger for. To desire greatly. Have strong affection for. He's telling us that the newborn babe has a hunger he didn't have before. His affections have been changed. And now he's craving the things of God. Now, you may not wake up every day feeling like you're craving the things of God. But even if you don't feel like getting into the Word, if you're a real believer, a born-again person, when you do go ahead and get into it, by the time you're done, it has fed you, spoken to you, witnessed to you, built you up, ministered to you, and you're so glad you did it. Right? Yeah, the, the, the truly saved Christian, here's an evidence. And evidence is, I, I, even though I battle the flesh still, the evidence is I long for the things of God. I long for the Word. You're in church today. You could be anywhere. Are the Cowboys playing today? What time? Oh, I was going to say we have a great turnout for a 12 o'clock game, but it, it's not. But here's the deal. <laughs> I have a reason for asking that. You're in church today. Why are you here? Are you here to be religious? You here to jump through a hoop? You, you, here, you here to put it in the time clock with God? No, you're here because you were hungry and thirsty and you wanted a word from God. You wanted to hear about God. That's why you're here. And that is evidence that you're saved. Amen. People that aren't genuinely saved have no such desire or hunger for any of the things of God. They're really more concerned with what others think about them how they appear to others. Paul said the day's going to come. They'll pretend to be devoted to God, but they'll refuse to let that devotion change the way they live. There's the evidence. If you're a real Christian, it changes the way you live. If you're not, you really don't care. Jesus talked to the Pharisees who loved the praise of men. And he said, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. They'd go right to a street corner, lift up their hands, and pray real loud so that people would say, ooh, they're so spiritual. And Jesus said, you know what? They got their reward right then because God's not going to praise them. Let them receive the praise of men. That's all they're going to get. I want to please God. How about you? Amen. Amen? But these religious people who say they're saved, but they don't live it. They're, they're not changed. Their lives haven't been changed. They want nothing to do with repentance and really getting right with God. The genuinely saved person will have a keen awareness of sin and be deeply convicted when they break God's word. They immediately feel a heaviness, a sorrow. Oh no, I know that I sinned. I know that I grieve God's spirit. I know that I that I offended God, and, and they have an immediate awareness of sin. And they care about it. When a genuine believer sins, their thought processes go like this. This is wrong. I have sinned. God is grieved. I must repent. Can we say that together? This is wrong. 
I had about half of you. Let's try it again. This is wrong. I have sinned. God is grieved. I must repent. Because to the true believer, the most important relationship is the vertical one. This one. Because if this isn't right, nothing out here is going to be right. So I got to get right. I can't sleep good. I get a knot in my stomach. I lose my peace if I sin against God. So the first thing I want to do is go to him and say, I messed up. Yeah, it's me again. Yep, here I am again. And yeah, Lord, it's the same thing. Don't look at me. Put your halo over your head. Some of you repented over the same thing 5,000 times, and you're not done yet. But look, watch this. Um, I've sinned. I can't live, Lord, without being right with you. I have no joy in life unless I'm right with you. But if you and me are right, Lord, then everything else is cool. Right? Come on, everybody. The Corinthians, they sinned. And look how Paul describes the way they handled it. He says, the pain of your sin caused you to to do what? Repent. And change what? Your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Next part. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away, away from sin and results in salvation. Verse 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Look what it did. Here's the effect. Earnestness, concern to clear yourself, indignation, alarm, such zeal. You showed that you have done everything necessary. Catch this now, to make things right. The real believer will get on hands and knees and crawl from here to Dallas on glass to make things right this way. You'll go to people. I'm sorry. I offended you. You'll go to God. Lord, I messed up. Man, I messed up. Lord, please forgive me. And it says, God is faithful to forgive you and to wash you of all unrighteousness. Amen. And this is the kind of conviction and repentance truly born again people will do when they're not right with God. One last thing. The truly born again person evidences submission to God's word. Submission to God's word. I I found an anonymous quote. I don't know who did it, but I'm going to read it to you quickly. This person writes, we're at a point in Christianity where people don't care if you can back it up with the Bible. Their feelings, desires, and emotions override what scripture says. They don't follow Christ. Or the Bible. They follow self. So true. What we do these days. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I believe in G. Oh yeah, hallelujah, kumbaya. I'm in there. We're all going to heaven and sweet by and by. And I'm one of them. But then they come to a verse they don't like. Here's what they do today. They redefine it. Instead of submitting to it, they try to redefine it. Oh, I don't like what the Bible says about sexuality. I want to mess around. So when I read the verses about fornication, that's not what it means. That's not what Jesus meant at all. And they redefine it. They want to walk in homosexuality. They redefine the verses. 
They say, oh, that's talking about way back in the first century. That's not relevant for today. They go into all these things. So you can, you can mark it down. When somebody who's not really a Christian doesn't like what the Bible says, they redefine it. But when the true believer reads something that is hard, like forgive your enemies, they say, that's tough, but I love it. I receive it. I accept it. I embrace it. 1 John 5, 3. Let me show it to you up here real quick. 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping what? His Word. And His commandments are not a hassle. I have never had an overwhelming emotion to forgive somebody. The last thing I want to do is forgive people that have wronged me. Forgive them. They don't deserve it. I'm not going to forgive them. They can forgive me. They come to me, I'll forgive them. But until then, I'm good. Me and God, we got it going on. We'll come to church, lift our hands, kumbaya, hallelujah, and, and walk out holding a grudge or not forgiving somebody. But see, here's the deal. When you love the Lord, if, 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 this, if you read something in this book that goes against what you want to do, you go, I accept it. Even though it's hard, I f- 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 forgive them. <laughs> there have been times I wish I could call fire out of heaven and devour my adversaries, you know, like Elijah did. But that's not a New Testament thing. We're to forgive. So here's the deal, folks the genuine born again Christian will submit to the authority of God's Word. And it ain't a hassle. It's not a burden. It's not like, ah, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. Stand up with me. Y'all are really quiet. I know, you're thinking. So I want you to say with me, genuine salvation shows in a changed life, changed affections, and submission to God's Word. So if you're saved and you know it, it'll show. (laughs) Do we still struggle? Of course we do. Of course we do. Do we make mistakes? Of course we do. Are we flawed as the day is long? I know I am. Right when I want to be more like Jesus, I don't act like Jesus. Right when I say I'm going to pray better, I don't pray better. I have to ask God to help me. But all the while, He's changing me. He's changing me. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And if you know that's true, lift your hands to the Lord. I want you to say thank you for my salvation, Lord. Thank you that I'm not perfect, but I am sincere to grow in you. Now with our heads bowed for just a moment, let me talk right to you. You're here today and you say, well, I listen to this, Jeff, and I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved because... I've been coming to church, listening to the Bible. I know some of the Bible, but I don't see the evidences that you went over. And I don't know if I'm saved. That's okay. 
I'm not here to judge you, point a finger at you, blame you, nothing. I am here, though, to encourage you to be sure that you know Jesus. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. Pray along with me. If you think you need him, take advantage of this moment right now. You may not have another one. You may not have another moment like this one in your whole life. Pray it with me right now. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. But Lord, I sinned. And I've broken God's laws. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Wash away my sin. I look to you in faith today to be my Savior. In Jesus' name.